0: Pastor Ed Ray with the name of God and what he is to us. What's God's name? I am that I
1: am. Uh, Moses at the burning bush, right? Yahweh in Hebrew. I am your Savior. I am your Lord. I am your physician. I am your joy, I am everything you need
0: in life. I all now build with hands, and in this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick, be healed, and the crippled stands singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me. Your love. Hi there, and welcome to Grow in Grace! Wouldn't it be incredible to actually hear Jesus pray? Well, you can, and today we'll do just that. The Lord is just a short time from the cross in John 17, and He's just finished addressing His disciples. Now it's time for a conversation with His Heavenly Father, and oh, what a joy it is to eavesdrop on this most glorious conversation here's pastor ed ray to bring it to our attention
1: we are looking at john chapter 17 we looked at the first half of it last week and we'll try and cover the rest of it this week it is obviously about prayer and prayer is the one thing that we have in common with all believers everywhere on the earth you pray and god hears you and Even though oftentimes we pray and it doesn't feel like it's going through heaven or God's not really paying attention, he is. And so this section is a model for us of prayer. Now Jesus prays some things of course that we can't, we're just not qualified. But prayer is the subject this morning. And and it's a broad and deep prayer that he prays here. A pastor's wife sent a little note about her kids. She said, when I gave birth to my youngest, a boy, my daughter, age six, whined. But I prayed for a girl, she said. Her little brother, four, replied, but I prayed harder. (laughs) I got the little brother. Other kids... Norma, age seven. Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was it an accident? Frank, nine. Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. Really? And all of us said amen, Frank. Bobby, eight. Dear God, it must be super hard for you to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) Peter, age seven. Dear God. Please send Dennis Clark to a different summer camp this year. (laughs) So, prayers are important. (laughs) And this prayer is so broad that it reaches back into time from when the world was made, from before when the cosmos was created, goes forward in time to beyond our day. This is Jesus praying about 2,000 years ago, and he is praying for things beyond where we are right now in the world. So scripture talks about two forms of vision. We can see things on a physical plane by light coming into our eye through the lens, into the retina, into that Back part of our eye that's covered with rods and cones, they're called little sensors that pick up all the photons of light and then trans them to something called the occipital lobe and the cortex. And anyway, without going, it's compared to things that you've seen in your life. So your brain can make sense out of whatever object it is that you're looking at. Now, scripture also talks about spiritual vision. Being able to see things that are beyond the five senses that we have, that there is a vision that sees things that are far off. So we need to do that just like when we're seeing with our eyes physically, we need to give them a break. Let me say it another way. When I was studying science, I was really into it. And sometimes you study for a long period of time and the page is this far away, but I started having trouble with my eyes. I went to a surgeon and he looked at him, he said, you gotta give your eyes a break. You're studying all these hours every day and you need to stop every 15 minutes and look for the thing that's furthest away. So you'd look out that door, the glass door, and look all the way over to as far as you can see. And what happens inside your eye is that when you're looking at things close, your eye has to stretch the back of the eye out to change the focal length, it's called, so that you can see things up close. But when you look a long way away, the eye relaxes back to its normal round shape, and there's no muscles pulling, and it actually, you can feel it letting go. That's exactly what needs to happen spiritually in your life and in mine, that when we look at just the things right in front of us, in our world, the daily news, for example, or the thing that you're afraid of tomorrow or happened yesterday or last week or next month ahead. When you focus on those things that are close, you get myopic. You can't see very clearly. You have to stop and look far off in the future and in the past. That's what Jesus is doing here. Sir Isaac Newton is my favorite scientist. He had a tremendous IQ estimated because they didn't have IQ tests in that day. But he has an IQ estimated to be 200. Normal IQ is 100 or maybe 110 if you're really bright. He was at 200. And the guy was able to understand optics and physics, mathematics, gravity, material things. He's just brilliant. But he loved Jesus very clearly. And it wasn't because of social pressures on him. I I was reading an atheist, a scientist who said, well, everybody went to church in those days. No, Sir Isaac Newton loved Jesus. He said so. And in fact, he wrote this. I like to say that I could take my telescope and look millions and millions of miles Off into space. But when I lay it aside and go into my room, shut the door, and get down on my knees in earnest prayer, I see more of heaven and feel closer to the Lord than if I were assisted by all the telescopes on planet Earth. So there was a man that understood what a privilege it is to just stop and be quiet and pray and know that God is hearing. So The Bible is filled with great prayers. Genesis chapter 18, Abraham's prayer. It's it's an amazing prayer that all the nations in the earth would be blessed by his offspring. Exodus 32, Moses prays and talks about what God is going to do for the children of Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon prays an amazing prayer about things coming. But they don't begin to compare with the scope, the length of time that this prayer we're looking at of Jesus is. It includes us as well as the apostles and things beyond us, beyond this century that haven't yet happened. The apostle John never forgot the events of this prayer. He was there. He was an eyewitness. And the Holy Spirit showed him 40 or 50 years after it happened, reminded him of every word, and he writes it down for us so we have this privilege of looking at the words that jesus said now it's impacted a lot of people down through the ages there was a scottish reformer john knox who said this is the scripture where he first set his anchor what he meant was where he first had faith with god he read this and it led him to christ and it so impacted his life that when he was laying dying at the end of his life, he asked his wife to read this chapter to him. And when she finished, he said, again, please. And he did that three times. Listen to this. And when she finished it the last time, he died. So he held great stock in this prayer. So it is a continuation of what we've been studying. If you've been with us, we started over in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. Jesus is in the upper room. It's the Last Supper, and he starts a teaching session with his disciples that will last all the way through this chapter and into the next. So he showed them with real practical ways what he was teaching. Like you'll remember in the Last Supper, at the end of the supper, he got down on his knees, took out a basin of water and a towel, and he washed his disciples' feet, got down on his knees and showed them what it meant to serve one another. And he tells us to do the same. If the ushers would bring the water down, no, I'm just, just kidding. You wouldn't want to see my feet anyway. But he's teaching them about service, about recognizing their brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And then he says, Let's leave. And so we follow him across the city of Jerusalem. It's about a half mile walk to go from where he was in the upper room. We know exactly where it was today. And he walked across. Some of you that have been to Israel, I just saw somebody who's been in, in. And we make that walk. We walk along where this is taking place. And it passes the gate of the temple and when he got there I see it as he he probably stopped because on the door of the temple Herod's temple there was this grapevine a huge grapevine out of gold hammered gold and he said I am the vine and you are the branches and he gave that wonderful statement about staying connected abiding in him. Your life has meaning when you stay abide, when you stay connected, when you are connected with God. And good things come out of our lives when we stay connected. When we wander off, we start to wobble and get bent. So it's time to get back when you find yourself in that condition. And then he came up to what was called then the Eastern Gate, the Golden Gate, with his disciples. And he looks out at the Garden of Gethsemane, right over the wall, where he's about ready to go, and pray that final prayer. That's where he is in chapter 17. He's looking down at the garden, and he begins to pray for the 11 men that are with him, and for you who are here because of what those 11 men did What? they obeyed him he prayed you watched it he said i send them into the world and that's what those 11 guys did they went into the world and they brought the good news the gospel first to asia minor and then to europe to greece and then italy macedonia and north to gaul over to france over to england and then most of us in this room are the product of them being obedient So you are a second-generation disciple. These prayers he's praying
0: are for you and for me. You're listening to a study framed around John 17. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Let's listen in to the second half of today's message now.
1: As we work our way through it, we'll see that this section breaks up into these three parts. First, he talks about unity, agreeing with other believers who believe Jesus is the Christ, who's God, who came to earth, 12 through 23. Not uniformity, not that we all look like each other, we all stand up and sit down at the same time. He's not making cookie-cutter Christians, you're different. Some would say very different, I'm teasing. But each one of us are slightly different. He doesn't want us to be uniform, you know, like a military or a private school, the kids all have to wear the same clothes. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about unity You love Jesus, I love Jesus. We're brothers and sisters, it's that simple. That's not to say there aren't some things that are unnegotiable. In other words, I don't have that kind of relationship with people say that Jesus isn't God. Well, I'm sorry, you're wrong, but you're not my brother, you're not my sister in that sense. Well, uh, I don't believe women can wear makeup. Well, I don't agree with you. I agree with the old radio preacher, J. Vernon McGee. If the barn needs painting, paint it. (laughs) There's all kinds of things like that. Can women wear pants to church? Can, you know, just stuff, crazy stuff about externals. But those things that are unnegotiable, Jesus is God. This is the inerrant word of God. He raised from the dead. He's going to raise us all from the dead. Those kind of things we're not talking about negotiating. But we're talking about unity, verse 12 through 23. And then the short section on heaven, one verse. And then the last two verses about believers, 25 and 26. That's where we're going. Fashion your seatbelts. It's a lot to cover. This is where we stopped last time. Verse 12. While I was with them, the disciples, he's talking to Father God. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Now we talked about this last week, but in the first century, your name You didn't get right away when you were born. Your parents would watch you and and figure out some characteristic about you, and they would call you that. Jacob or Jacob in Hebrew was a heel catcher, they said, because he grabbed his brother's heel. He was a twin in the womb, and he tried to get out before his brother. And so they called him Jacob, or Jacob, his whole life. And his brother Esau was called Esau because he was ruddy red. He had red hair all over him. And he had a temper to match it, and that kind of a thing. So Jesus says, your name, I kept them in the world. I kept them in your name. What's God's name? I am that I am. Uh, Moses at the burning bush, right? Right? Yahweh in Hebrew, I am your Savior. I am your Lord. I am your physician. I am your joy. I am everything you need in life. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. I kept reminding them, you're all that we will ever need those whom you gave me i've kept and none of them was lost except the son of lostness there's a play on words here in the greek language and that scripture might be fulfilled now don't misunderstand this verse judas had a choice just like i have a choice and like you have a choice if you saw the rock musical Jesus Christ Superstar, it was absolutely wrong. Music wasn't that good either. But the writer, the scriptwriter, misunderstood this verse. He thought that Judas was prophesied and so that he didn't have a choice. He had to be the one. Listen, somebody was going to do it. Scripture said that someone would betray the Messiah. Judas didn't have to be the guy. And so that's why he was responsible. He did not ask God to forgive him afterward. He regretted it. He was sorry he got caught. But that's an important fact, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's what scripture said, that somebody would betray him. Verse 13, now I come to you, Jesus, still talking to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. And the word fulfilled means running over. If you were sitting here with a glass and I brought a pitcher of water, you know, I'd fill it up and then I'd just let it run over the top on your hands and all over your clothes and that. That's what Jesus says about joy. Joy is a gift from God. You don't have to receive it. You can refuse it. He doesn't say happiness. Happiness depends upon what's happening around you. Joy is a quiet understanding that God is in control. And how scary as it looks, it doesn't matter because God's going to get me through this thing. Joy is a gift from God to you, but you must choose to accept it. You must choose to accept it. You must choose joy. Confession. Got up this morning, I was grumpy. Okay. I don't like snow, I don't like cold, that's why I live in California. The guarantee was, if we came back to California, there wouldn't be any snow. Somebody broke their word. So I'm grumpy this morning, I go to bed. I have a confident, it's not my wife first of all, it's my dog. Okay, I have a dog, a bulldog, English bulldog, and his name is Winston, and he listens to all my problems, very carefully. His face is the same whether he's happy or sad. You, you can't tell the difference. It' you know, just got wrinkles everywhere. So I told him I was grumpy. He looked at me out of the side of his eye like, are you going to ask God for joy? Because that's what he says to me every morning. <laughs> yeah. Lord, I choose joy. I choose to be happy today. I'm not going to focus on the bad things that have happened yesterday, the day before, what might happen next week. I'm going to focus on I'm going to heaven. God is my Savior, and he will take care of me. That's what he's saying here. So, 14, I have given them your word, and the Greek word is logos, or logos, some people say. It's the written word. It's the Bible. Jesus gave to his disciples, and through them, by extension, has given to you his word. That's why we study it here. That's why we go verse by verse, line by line, so that you understand, I understand what it is that God is saying about our lives. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Now, when he uses this word, world, it's actually cosmos in the Greek language. You can't tell by the word. You have to look at the context whether he's talking about earth when he says world or is he talking about the world system, Babylon? What? The Bible is a story of two cities. The city of God, Jerusalem, and the city of hell, Babylon. And you can say that 40 different ways. It comes from Charles Dickens' book, The Tale of Two Cities. He was talking about London and Paris. But God, when he talks about it, is talking about the city of God and the city of Satan. Now, that's not real clear here. You'll only understand it when you go through the book of Revelation. It's very clear there. But that's what he's referring to. I am not of the world system. I'm not of Babylon, is what he's saying. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. And here he means earth but that you should keep them from the evil one, Satan. Protect them, Lord. You see, if I was God, and you can thank God I'm not, I would do it different. When we do an altar call here, I say, you know, if you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand. Now, if I was in control, as soon as you raised your hands, you would go up through the roof right to heaven. That seems very convenient. Uh, You don't have to worry about all the struggles on earth after that. God said, no, you're going to stay here. Well, why, Lord? Because people want to watch you. You see, your life's a disaster. Yeah, I know, Lord. And when people see you, in fact, I'm going to put you in the same town you grew up in and make you pastor a church there so everybody can look at you and walk in and go, oh my goodness, that guy's the pastor? But listen, it gives you hope when you see me up here. And you say, if God would take him, that's what all your friends are thinking about you. They look at you and they go, That's a Christian. Huh, there might be hope for me. Maybe I could get that guy's a cracked pot. And you can say, Yes, I am, because that's what scripture says. We are flawed vessels that contain the greatest treasure in the world. You are a jar of clay, you are a mud pot, but you have Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory.
0: Amen, Pastor Ed. We are all jars of clay. For those of us who have accepted Christ, we're redeemed jars of clay to be used by God for His will. Thanks for joining us for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're going through the Gospel of John together from start to finish. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Next time, we'll bring you the remainder of this message from John 17. And we're pondering the prayer of Jesus before his road to the cross. That's next time on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. now with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be and the stand singing high the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone, faith, hope, love, and harmony, I said let this world know me by your love.